0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage executive chairman of GameSquare, founder of CNBC and MSNBC, National Association for Urban Debate League's board member, CNBC contributor, and editor-at-large for Newsweek, Mr. Tom Rogers.
2: Be it resolved, the Newsweek Nautil partnership is very cool. Uh, There is no counter-argument to that. I'm sorry. Actually, I did think of one listening to the first debate. It is a very hot day to be having such a cool partnership kickoff. Optimistic view, wow, mid-April, 88 degrees. This is great. Pessimistic view, what the hell are we doing with an 88-degree day in mid-April? It takes two to tangle, and um, can't think of a more gratifying thing having b- being involved with uh, these two organizations than having uh, Newsweek and Nautil entangled uh, through debate. It's uh, really a terrific uh, uh, opportunity for uh, both organizations. And um, just let me mention a minute the people who I think uh, really deserve credit for for bringing this to life. First, uh, Nancy Cooper, um, the editor in chief here, who guides Newsweek, um, and both from my involvement in it and as a reader of it, guides Newsweek by the by the guiding principles of debate that you always bring to light both sides of controversial issues of public importance, and that is a key guiding principle for this entire media franchise, which I think helps really distinguish Newsweek from a sea of uh, media properties out there. Um, Dan, who uh, brought this idea which I kind of whispered to him and took it and made it happen. Uh, I whisper a lot of ideas to a lot of people but Anne really uh, took this one and uh, understood how you could combine both the editorial uh, concept of Newsweek with a public interest opportunity to make a real difference in people's lives by implementing a partnership here between Nautil and Newsweek and deserves all the credit in the world for bringing this to light. And Rhonda, who leads Nautil uh... sees this and said wow if we could make this happen it would be one of the great achievements for nautil to be able to really demonstrate how national urban debate and the future of kids who are taught this way could uh, be uh, uh, tied to a media franchise of such uh, international fame and with that bring some glow, better understanding, uh, better communication about the Nautil mission uh, to a lot more people. And Rhonda, you deserve immense credit for making this happen. I I was not a debater in high school, I was not a debater in college, but it has struck me throughout my life how much time in school is spent trying to teach kids how to write, but very, very, very little attention on verbal skills, on oratory, on argument, on persuasion, on presentation. These are the skills that most matter in life. These are the things that really transform people's careers and the fact that our educational system does not focus on them not all focusing on them is a huge huge opportunity i think to figure out how the rest of the uh, country beyond those who have exposure to these debate leagues can uh, be much more focused on how we teach uh, verbal skills. Um, It's critical to life success on a personal level. Debate is a key way to teach it. Debate also teaches, as Nancy uh, stated so eloquently, that we live in a polarized country and there is no cure for that other than exposing people to both sides of controversial issues of public importance and debate certainly does it. And I must also add it's very important on a family level uh, to uh, train people for for marriage. I've been married for 40 years. I, I have not won an argument in 40 years. I am hoping that through my exposure to these two organizations, that over the next decade I might actually win one. With my wife Sylvia here, I wanted to say that so she knows I'm still trying. So... Thank you Uh, again. Congratulations to both organizations for just a terrific job in bringing this to life. Thank you.
0: I'd like to welcome up our third debate team. They're also from Denver, Ruby and Allison. Their debate centers on immigration, and Ruby will begin with an affirmative, constructive argument, and debate will continue like the others before.
3: OK. Resolve. The United States should loosen its restrictions on immigration. Give me your tired, your poor, your heart of masses, journey to breathe free. Dame tus cansados, tus pobres, tus masas amontonadas, que anhelan respirar libremente. This quote taken from the base of the Statue of Liberty has been the immigration philosophy of America since its creation. We are and continue to be a nation of immigrants. According to the Migration Policy Institute, there are approximately 45.3 million immigrants living in the United States, making up 13.6% of the population. In other words, there are more immigrants in the United States than the populations of New York and Florida combined. My main points are the economy, education, and social benefits that immigrants bring to the U.S. And lastly, how policy How Biden's border policy works. To begin, economic economic benefits. The George Bush Institute says that as immigrants enter the workforce, drastic changes happen including increasing GDP. The incomes of both immigrants and native-born people rise. The employment rate is 3% points higher among foreign-born people than native-born. Immigrants have jobs that are important to the U.S. economy and communities that will be incredibly hard to replace. And this brings me to my second point, education and social benefits. Although most of the immigrants who come come to the U.S. have less education, immigrant children have shown significant achievement. Students have found that children of immigrants tend to attain more education, have higher earnings, and work higher paying occupations than their parents. This in turn creates more tax revenue and expands the visibility of immigrants into higher paying fields, thus loosening tensions, tensions between groups and society. And this brings me to my last point. Biden's plans work. The Biden administration began to make progress in reducing the flow of immigration at the border. President Biden's immigration and border plan expanded legal migration into the United States through humanitarian parole. Under Biden's plan, up to 30,000 migrants from Venezuela, Cuba, Nicaragua, and Haiti. BCNH migrants can legally enter the United States each month. This means This means that our immigration system is working and we're doing it for the right reasons, but we need to keep loosening restrictions. Also, many migrant children are crossing the border on their own without their parents. This makes the U.S. have to become parents of thousands of undocumented children. Humanitarian parole is a policy we must continue and expand so that we can best care for these kids. Thank you, and I'm open for cross (laughs) ex
4: My first question to you will be, how will you pay for the burden that the local schools have in providing a good
3: education to immigrant children? Um, There are many ways to pay the burden that local schools could have in providing a good education to immigrant children. Education funds come from a portion of taxes that that we all pay, even immigrants. We can charge taxes for things that people are already doing. Do you think our country is ready for this big change? I mean, haven't we always had immigrants in the U.S.? I don't really see it as something as a big change. Okay.
4: Are you really, are we really stable economically to support education and make more jobs for immigrants like me?
3: We are stable economically to support education. It's just that the government needs to put more effort in schools. There are also resources and obligations that schools have to teach people with different needs. There has been a low, low rate uh, of un- unemployment in the last years. There are more jobs than people that we're willing to work. We don't need to create more jobs for immigrants because they are enough. It's just that because they are illegal, they can't work in some places. They need the correct papers to work. How does your plan protect us? Humanitarian parole doesn't mean we give give up all security. It just means that we are kinder and more open. We can still do interviews, ask why immigrants want to come to, to America and make sure violent criminals can come in or are deported if they break the law. Being compassionate doesn't mean being stupid. That's all for my words.
4: Uh, okay. We saw that the United States should not lose its restrictions on immigration. Being an immigrant is a privilege and a responsibility. Ser un inmigrante es un privilegio y una responsabilidad. The quote that my opponent read about bringing your tire, your poor to the shores of America is nice. It's compassionate. It comes to a different, far less complicated world. It is naive to think that we are we can allow anyone to immigrate to the United States at any time, like my opponent suggested. People come to the US with a purpose. This is how it should be, because there are too many causes and risks to loosening its restrictions on immigration. I will argue the following three points. First, immigration puts too much stress on community education and health resources. Second, immigrants are often exploited by oh, sorry. second, immigrants are often exploited by American employers. Third, Biden's border policy is failing. Without question, immigrants contribute to their local economies, but local communities must help these families establish themselves. Children must be educated. Healthcare services must be provided. There is no warranty that immigrating families will stay in those communities, which means their investments may never earn dividends. Additionally, schools deal with issues like fears of deportation effectively, teaching immigrant children, and helping them adjust to the American culture. Many schools and communities don't really have the money to offer these services to all students. We have to hold employers accountable for exploiting immigrants and authorized guest workers. Congress needs to reform the U.S. immigration system by improving regulations in the following ways. First, changing the temporary work visa programs rules. Second, protecting the migrant workers for, from retaliation. Third, giving more funding for labor standards enforcement. Four, permanently banning employers from hire, hiring if they have broken immigration or labor laws. Charming James Comer, chairman of the House Oversized community, community, emphasizes that Biden changed immigration policy of that is no longer stops immigrants from illegally come to the, coming into the United States. He expresses that this puts a country at risk because of the increase of drugs and human trafficking, as as well as other dangerous activities. We should not lose restrictions for several reasons. Biden's plan at the border is not working. His plan is putting border patrol agents at risk. I know we should have compassion, but we also need to be smart about what is the best for the people and the country. Coming to the U.S. should be a privilege, not a necessary. We should only accept those who want to have a better life and can contribute to the country. Congress needs to pass immigration reform first before losing its restrictions. Thank you.
3: Uh, my first question for you is, how are you going, going to bring the right people into the U.S.? Having a selection of people that can
4: make big contributions to the country, background checking, reviewing the criminal background of the person, and interrogating them for what their are reasons that they are coming to the US. We are already doing this. There's no reason to change
3: it. Thank you. And my second question is, how are you going to be able to stop people from exploding immigrants? We want to set regulations. To stop
4: the exploitation towards immigrants by seeing the labor laws that lets employers continue to exploit immigrants as to be our first step.
3: Thank you. My last question is, how are you going to be able to, how are you going to help the thousands of children coming to our country on their, on their own each year? We want to help these kids. It is our primary
4: goal. We want to reunite them with their families as quickly as possible. Not writing policy that keeps them separate. Okay,
3: thank you. (laughs) And now I will start with my affirmative rebuttal. Okay, my opponent states that Biden's plan is a failure. I argue the Biden's plan is working because it is greatly decreasing the number of illegally immigrants people as well as on companion childrens, it is it is bringing the right people into the country, and we are doing it for humanitarian reasons. My opponents, my opponent also states that immigrants create stress on communities and the education environment. I argue that it actually helps the community in education because they expose students to backgrounds often different from their own. Their kids tend to earn higher incomes than than their parents creates more tax revenue in the f- future and expands the visibility of immigrants in higher paying fields, which reduce the tensions between groups in society. I'm not a typical immigrant. I was, born the, I was born in the United States, but I grew up in Mexico and only learned to speak Spanish. I will never forget moving permanently back to the, to the United States and how overwhelming it was. The experiences that I had were extraordinary. I was provided an education and received healthcare from this amazing country. Next year, I will be graduating high school, and go, and I will go to college, and I'm really grateful for everything that America has given to me. But what immigrants get from America is substantially outweighed by what we give to America, and we should provide the opportunity for many Im- immigrants like me. Thank you.
4: <laughs> My opponent argues that we should lose the restrictions to let immigrants into the u.s i say we should not lose the restrictions because it will not work and it's putting our country and economy at risk not only it puts pressure on people who provide resources to them it continues to encourage illegal and dangerous activities at the border my opponent argues that immigrants are a big contribution to our economy i say immigrants put substantial burden on local communities, often forcing them to invest money they don't have. I immigrated to the United States when I was a three-year-old. My family had had many difficulties when we came here. We worked hard to get where we are today. It wasn't easy. Many people think that coming here immediately means that they will live a life of luxury. And that simply isn't true. We have to face the reality that some immigrants won't fight for the opportunity for a better life, that being being in America is a privilege, not a right. I work with my uncle who owns a restaurant. He struggled for many years before becoming successful. He went through so much to get where he is now. I have spoken to many immigrants who are looking for a job. What is upsetting is when these job seekers call to the restaurant aggressively asking why we have not called them back or hired them. Additionally, people who we hire don't give their best effort. We need the right people, not all people. And this is why we must keep the tire restrictions on immigration.
0: Please give one more round of applause to... Ruby Allerton from Denver. Thank you, ladies.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage Kevin Gensel, Global Chief Commercial and Growth Officer at Newsweek.
5: Good evening, everyone. We are so glad you're here, and I am honored to stand on this stage to share a few words with these student debaters. Also the future executive team of Newsweek, as we learn today at lunch. Nancy, Diane, I think we're in, uh, we're in good stead here, yes. So I joined Newsweek six months ago, and I have been evangelizing this partnership with Noddle ever since. And I'm here to share with you that the reception I get to every single conversation I have about this relationship is universally applauded. These are conversations I'm having with brand marketers and chief marketing officers, with senior executives at advertising agencies, platform partners like Facebook and Google, the press, media, and peers, C-level executives at other media companies across New York, Los Angeles, and the world. Every single conversation about this content strategy and partnership is just universally celebrated. And that is because of all of you. Because of your commitment to excel in this critical skill of debate and discourse, you're inspiring countless others, now with Newsweek's reach to 50 million users across the globe and your journey's just getting started, which is so exciting. We're all aware of the data that demonstrates that students who have had access to the skill of debate, your propensity to enter college, to graduate from college, and to go into the workforce skyrockets. But I would argue that the skills you are developing, empathy, self-confidence, awareness, presence, depth, evangelism, listening, hearing are all fundamental difference makers for your career development and growth. No matter what profession you choose to pursue, debate provides you with all of this. One of the most important aspects of the skill is the ability to articulate and share complex ideas with other key stakeholders in your life. Persuasion, I think Tom said. This ability to share with others in a way that they will not only understand, but perhaps then implement, is a gift. And it's a gift that will serve you well, I promise you. Listening is also an art that rides alongside speaking. It's definitely a skill that for some is a lifelong journey of learning and development but is perhaps the single most important in our collective tool set. One word of advice on your journey, build a personal board of directors, be intentional on who you choose in that board, use your board to practice your skills, to hone your craft, to make mistakes, to learn and to grow, solicit that feedback. And in conclusion, I would like to quote the English author, Artificial Intelligence, I'm just kidding. (laughs) But that's the next debate topic, isn't it? Uh, This is a quote from the English playwright Edward Bullier Lutton. Okay, you've not heard of him, neither had I. But you will know a quote in this stanza, I hope. Beneath the rule of men entirely great, the pen is mightier than the sword. Behold the arch enchanter's wand, itself a nothing. But taking sorcery from the master hand to paralyze the Caesars and to strike the loud earth breathless, take away the sword. States can be saved without
0: it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I'd like to welcome up the final debate team from Silicon Valley, California, Fabiola and Eric. As previously mentioned, their debate topic will be artificial intelligence in the workplace and Fabiola will begin with an affirmative constructive argument and the debate will proceed like before.
6: So as some of you may already know, ChatGBT is an AI chatbot based on OpenAI's GBT 3.5 language model. ChatGBT was launched in November, 2022. GBT4, OpenAI's newest model, was released in March. 2023. GPT-4 showed a significant leap forward in machine learning and AI. The pace of progress is so steep that drawing a line between the two data points leads to an obvious conclusion, oh boy, language models like GPT-4 can already compete with humans at a growing range of tasks and can be used to automate jobs. It is no longer a question of if technology will reach a level where it can perform your job as well as or better than you can, it's a question of when. And with the sheer magnitude of progress we are witnessing in the field of AI, the answer may be sooner than any of us would like. One thing is clear, technological advancements pose a serious threat to people's livelihoods as they gradually render human labor redundant. For these reasons, I advocate for universal basic income or UBI as a solution. UBI is a simple but powerful concept that aims to provide every adult citizen with a regular cash payment, regardless of income level or employment status. This financial cushion would offer displaced workers the security they need to live comfortably while inspiring innovation and entrepreneurship. The Roosevelt Institute suggests that implementing UBI could boost the economy by 12% annually, making it a powerful catalyst for economic progress, job creation, entrepreneurship, and creativity. In addition to financial security, UBI also has several social benefits that can improve the quality of life for individuals and communities. The Southern Ontario Basic Income Experience study found that UBI recipients experienced improved mental and physical health and general well-being. Participants reported reduced financial stress and increased focus on personal development and overall health. Recipients of UBI also had more stable housing situations and increased access to healthy food options. The program even had some unexpected benefits, with recipients reporting increased community involvement and volunteer work. Now, the trillion dollar question, how are we gonna pay for this? During his 2020 presidential campaign, Andrew Yang proposed several funding sources. These included a 10% value added tax on goods and services, reduced government spending on social programs, increased economic growth through consumer spending, a carbon fee and dividend, and increased taxes on capital gains and financial transactions. With careful planning and a combination of these funding sources, a UBI program can be funded and provide financial security for all Americans. In, conclu- oh, in conclusion, UBI offers a solution to the challenge of widespread job displacement caused by AI advancements. By ensuring every citizen has access to economic security, UBI enables individuals to pursue their dreams, experiment with new ideas, and contribute to society in meaningful ways. The benefits of UBI are not just economic, but also social, as UBI can improve health outcomes, reduce crime rates, and enhance overall well-being. We cannot afford to ignore the potential of UBI in this area of unprecedented technological change. It's time to take action, to start the conversation, and push for policies that put people first. So let's embrace the transformative power of UBI and build a brighter, more equitable future for all. Thank you.
7: Thank you, Fabula. Um, <clears throat> so the questions that I have prepared for you are, have you considered the incentive of working being taken away with universal basic income?
6: Yeah, thank you for your question. So a study by the National Bureau of Economic Research found that universal and permanent cash transfer, such as basic income, does not significantly decrease employment. Researchers analyzed Alaskan residents and the effects of the Alaska Permanent Fund, what the closest thing the US has to basic income right now. The data from 1960 to 1970 compared employment before the annual payments began and found a 3% increase in the employment to population ratio. So overall, the study suggests that cash transfer programs do not discourage work and have minimal effects on the labor market.
7: Here's something a bit specific I noticed in your plan and wanted to ask you about it. So you you know there's obviously different types of universal basic income and different ways you can go about implementing it, but I was curious to know why you opted for universal basic income for all income levels.
6: Sure. Thank you for your question. So one of the main reasons for giving UBI to everyone, regardless of income, is to reduce the stigma associated with receiving government assistance. When UBI is given to everyone, it creates a universal social safety net that provides financial security to all members of society. So not only does this help to ensure that no one is left behind and that everyone has access to a basic level of economic support, but it also helps to reduce the shame and stigma that often comes with receiving government assistance. Thank you. Yeah.
7: <laughs> so both of our arguments center around the idea that job automation fueled by AI is going to disrupt the economy in the same way the Industrial Revolution impacted the jobs of farmers. The problem is that the workers who are being replaced by AI don't have the skill sets that translate to working in AI. Coal miners are being replaced by autonomous trucks and drills, cashiers by self-checkout, and any job that relies on a spreadsheet is going to be futile in the near future. I didn't want to say journalists because I was a little scared of the venue. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, my plan puts forward the idea that reskilling workers is the ideal solution to combat job loss due to automation. In order to compensate for the growing automation of jobs, the federal government should implement a wide scale reskilling effort to train job seekers with the skills needed to, the, to adapt to the ever t- changing technological world around them. And despite job loss due to automation, the World Economic Forum asserts AI will create 97 million new jobs by 2025. If an entire industry is creating jobs that are inaccessible, it is the role of the federal government to ensure that workers have the means to adapt and take on these jobs. Historically, programs like the New Deal have helped take Americans out of the depression. I call for a program of a similar scale to prevent economic instability. For example, the Works Progress Administration used American labor to build infrastructure that has positively impacted society. Imagine being able to wait in a virtual queue for the DMV rather than killing an entire Saturday. if you looked at any government website ever, it looks like it was built on the first Windows computer. Think about the optimization that can occur um, in government bureaucracies as a result because of these new technologies. The general use case for a government backed reskilling program goes beyond AI and automation. Consider the gen- general volatility of the job market. The point I'm trying to drive is that AI cent- an AI centric world is inevitable. Right. So teaching workers how to adapt to this new tech landscape is the only logical step forward. Universal basic income changes the entire framework of our economic system, it's not a simple reform. Though one may argue that universal basic income solves more problems than just automation due to AI, uh, the solution invites considerations that extend beyond a simple federal program, which is why it has been a hot button issue in the past several years. We must act now in order to make the most effective change and prevent the most job loss. An example of the government adapting quickly was during the pandemic, when efforts were put forward to ensure equal access to education. Libraries were offering hotspots to students, schools providing Chromebooks, and community centers virtual tutoring. The pandemic was a great example of adapting to technological change, but it opened a Pandora's box which cannot be closed. The days of turning in paper assignments in cursive are over. Many workers specifically had to gain computing skills contingent on being able to complete their jobs successfully online. The reason I call for a program at the scale of the New Deal is that people are going to be forced to adapt to a new system just like they did under COVID, and it wouldn't be under the same time constraints as the pandemic. When we consider automation taking over jobs, it's a gradual development that comes as the result of promise of a better, faster, and cheaper labor as opposed to humans. COVID put pressure on the government to act quickly. This is not the case with AI takeover of jobs. So the worst possible outcome is that the government does not act in time to combat automation and as a result, there's a gradual decline in our economy that would reach a tipping point. An argument against this approach harkens back to the age-old debate about the deficit and whether or not increasing government spending is good or bad. If we do nothing, Americans lose entire job sectors, which is catastrophic for the economy. If we spend government money, we can transfer those jobs while increasing GDP and the strength of our economy overall. It makes sense that we invest resources to adapt to this new technological era and be prepared for the effects it might have on the economy with an overall goal of Americans being able to transition seamlessly into this new era of AI automation.
6: So thank you, Eric. I do have some questions for you. First, do you think working is necessary for survival?
7: Yeah, I think um, idealistically, working is necessary for survival. But I think in, in practicality, that's not the case in America. When you consider like our hometown, San Jose, if you walk around downtown, um, you know you'll see empty luxury apartments with people sleeping on that that same block, literally. Um, so, I mean, currently, yeah, it is a necessity. And, when you consider the potential upside to AI automation, it's that you're regaining those work hours into your personal life, right, instead of working. So the question then becomes um, striking a balance between survivability and having the same income while at the same time working lower hours.
6: All right, my second question to you is, how would you ensure that human workers still have a place in the workforce, or why would an employer prefer a human to a robot?
7: I don't think a employer would prefer a human over a robot. And I think if I was an employer, I would hire the robot. Um, From a a capitalist perspective, right? And so, like, just based off that simple, like, you know, cost-benefit analysis, I'd rather hire one machine than hire ten people um, if my goal is only to try to make more money, right? And so that's that's the current issue we're facing now, is that everyone wants to make um, money, and so therefore they hire the machine. And so I think it's to remember, it's important to remember that the goal isn't to you know, replace these jobs but to transition them right into working in AI and even in a world where this plan doesn't save all the jobs that you um, would be replacing with training people to work in in you know uh, AI automation and, and implementing those systems like there would still be a, a sense of government um, involvement in either creating a tax for automating your workforce or you um, what would be putting a limit on how many uh, workers you can lay off due to AI automation, right? So there, there's still a certain level of government involvement in addressing prospective human workers being employed in the long term.
6: All right. Thank you, Eric. Yeah. The rapid developments of AI threatens livelihoods. As AI technology continues to advance, it will become capable of performing many jobs currently done by humans, leading to widespread job displacement and rendering human labor redundant. Universal basic income is a simple but powerful solution that will provide a financial cushion to those displaced by automation and improve overall economic and social well-being. By implementing UBI and funding it through a combination of sources, all Americans can benefit from automation and transform our economy and society for the better. While Eric's plan for government funded reskilling programs may appear promising, its limitations cannot be ignored. Reskilling programs may not provide workers with the necessary skills that could be in the changing job market, especially in industries that are rapidly evolving due to technological advancements. We have to consider the long term effects of automation. As machines become more advanced and efficient, the number of jobs available hum- for humans will continue to decrease. Ultimately, no. An employer would not prefer a human worker to a robot government restrictions on automation or taxes on automation will only delay the inevitable and won't address the issue of job displacement. Additionally, while it is true that American capitalism is built on the exchange of labor for survival, we should also consider the fact that working should not be the only means for survival. AOC once said, we should not be haunted by the specter of being automated out of work. We should be excited by that. But the reason we're not excited by it is because we live in a society where if you don't have a job, you are left to die a UBI offers a comprehensive and sustainable solution that addresses the economic and social concerns of automation. The end game is clear. While job retraining may appear practical, it is not a viable option for millions of displaced workers. In the long run, UBI is a more sustainable solution that addresses the challenges of job loss due to automation while also addressing other societal issues such as income inequality and poverty. Let's embrace this bold and innovative solution and build a brighter future for all. Thank you.
7: This debate culminates in considering the following options as a response to AI automation in the workforce. Either fundamentally shifting our current economic system or bracing that system for change. The approach of creating a wide scale reskilling program across the U.S. prepares workers for an inevitable AI takeover of entire sectors of jobs that cannot be automated. To not address this problem now is to let it snowball and roll down the hill which will be devastating to our economy and much harder to stop in the future. When considering alternatives like universal basic income, there are several considerations that go beyond just AI automation, while a federal government is direct to the point and can be implemented on a large scale. Historically, programs like the New Deal have proven their worth in recovering from economic decline, and the same should be done in this instance to prevent it especially after the pandemic, there is still a new emphasis on navigating and understanding new technologies such as AI in all aspects of life. Employers will always choose AI automation over human workers given increased efficiency at a lower price. Um, This is an issue we know is forthcoming. We'll take fewer resources to address now than later. And the solution proposed is feasible and direct. While the solution to this problem will likely look like a combination of federal reskilling program in conjunction with government restrictions on layoffs uh, due to AI automation. It's imperative that the federal government address the issue now, given leaps in AI happen in terms of months and not years. Thank you.
0: Let's give one final round of applause to our Silicon Valley team, Fabiola and Eric. Thank you both.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome back to the stage once again, Nancy Cooper, our global editor-in-chief at Newsweek.
0: Thank you. That was fabulous that was inspiring it was amazing i feel extremely hopeful about the future with, that you will all be creating so can we have all the students come up here again and we'll just thank you and i also want i also want to thank the mentors and the coaches i think they need a lot of the credit here too please come out.
1: And this concludes Season 1 of A Mightier Tomorrow, a partnership between Newsweek and the National Association for Urban Debate Leagues. To learn more about Noddle or to donate to this tremendous cause, please visit them online at urbandebate.org. That's urbandebate.org. From all of us here at Newsweek, thank you so much for listening. Be sure to stay tuned for Season 2 of A Mightier Tomorrow.